Okay, cool. Hey guys, I have uh, the perfect name for the episode. What's that? Close to the Sundowners. Nice. Oh. Hey, hey, we aren't gonna get a better cold open than that. So why don't you go ahead and DJ, drop that sick beat. <laughs> Okay, hello, and welcome to episode 13 of the Real Professional Podcast. As always, I am your host, Ted, and uh, today I'm joined by two special guests. We got Jesse, as always. Say hi, Jesse. Hi, Jesse. And uh, Trevor, you, who you might remember from the episode, uh, actually the last episode, where we talked about the Game Awards very uh, dryly and unenthusiastically. Say, say hi to everyone, Trevor. Hey, guys. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, looking forward to bringing back some of that dry and unenthusiastic energy. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the energy today is going to be uh, rather dry and enthusiastic because we're talking about uh, a, a subject today that um, I don't believe anyone is passionate about. Um, Probably the most dry human being on Earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we'll just uh, kind of... Physic- physically. <laughs> yeah, like literally dry. Yeah. Like he is flaking off as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I think that we should just go ahead and get into uh, a segment that I have not had a chance to announce in a while. So I'm very excited to announce news, 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 news. And uh, hopefully the uh, the overlaid audio for that will be ready by the time this goes live. Otherwise, I'm just going to sound dumb. Anyways, uh, there's one big news story that I think we all wanted to talk about, which uh, is that Joe Biden uh, has declared a war on gamers. Uh, we all thought it was going to be Iran was the next great front, front but apparently it's uh, it's the, the, the pages of the Steam store and the Xbox Live Arcade and things like that. So, uh, yeah, if, if those of you out there don't know, uh, there's a quote recently attributed uh, to Biden where he calls game developers little creeps. And uh, describes games as a means that teach you uh, how to how to kill people. So, uh, I wanted to assort a uh, diverse end of the uh, political spectrum here. Um, so, full disclosure: uh, the three of us here are all what we would consider more left-wing liberals. Uh, I wanted to get a Biden supporter actually on the podcast, but unfortunately, we're recording this at 8 p.m. and it's way past their bedtimes, mm. so we couldn't wrangle one up. But uh, they already had their uh, their split pea mush soup and uh, took their laxative and went to bed mm-hmm. at 4 p.m. So yeah, that's a shame. I, yeah. I called my grandma and I was like, "Hey, grandma, do you want to be on a podcast?" And she was like, "Who are you?" And I forgot that she had Alzheimer's, and it's just like, ah, you know. Uh, but you know, the, uh, the, I would say that I'm probably the most moderate of any of us here. I'm kind of a socialist, but, uh, kind of more of a leaning into socialism from the Democrat. Jesse is a self-described politicalist. I'm actually leaning more towards, uh, whatever poll. Jill Stein. Was, I think, uh, the Kamer Green Party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's Yeah, that's a, that's a you should bring that back into style, man. It's Will been do. a while since they got a good PR campaign. And then uh yeah. Trevor's oh, Well, oh, 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 well, you're just going to out me like that. No, actually I identify <laughs> I identify as a uh, gamer. That is my political identity. Oh. So. 
damn, I don't know if gamers are allowed on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, I thought Joe Rogan can let uh, Ben Shapiro and Alex Jones on, but he certainly hasn't had any gamers. So, Which did you guys see that? Gross. Like, there's a bunch of drama online because uh, Joe Rogan recently endorsed Bernie Sanders. Yeah, uh, perhaps the most important endorsement uh, of all time. Um, For real. Like, all these uh, these people who are like, hey, maybe we should give uh, George H.W. Bush, who killed, like, all these people because the Doonesbury uh, artist made him mad. Uh, <laughs> you know, what if we give him another shot? And they're like, hey, Joe Rogan's too much. You gotta, you gotta go. I wouldn't give him any credence. <laughs> Fuck him. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like I, I see all these feminist memes that are Joe Rogan is uh, uh, an alt-right talking head and I've like listened to him and he's like really not. So I really feel like most of the shit people have to say about him is based on the fact that he's like willing to have guests on that most people don't agree with. He's just a dumb guy, which, you know, same. Yeah. He, he's like aggressively average in like terms of most of his opinions leaning towards more progressive, but he's like progressive. He's like progressive in the way that your uncle that like drives a truck that has all these arm tattoos that like comes to your family's Thanksgiving like surprises you by saying like, yeah, yeah, you know, I work with some Mexican guys and they're really chill, you know, like there's like that underlying generational prejudice there. But like he's somehow slightly cooler than the rest of it, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I work with Mexicans. They have families, too, you know. Um, yeah, Joe Rogan has an incredibly empty mind um, so much so that like he'll have like a Nazi guest on and then just be like really intellectually curious about that Nazi yeah, guest and like, like wow he won't is... even realize it I don't think his brain is yeah. kind of like you know when you have like silly putty and you put it on like a newspaper comic and then you have like a nice stretched out Garfield you can play with <laughs> mm-hmm. um that's what his brain is which like. makes him like a good interviewer to be honest like he is intellectually curious which is nice uh and that's great that he had Bernie Sanders on because then it ended up being a great interview. I, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't really watch it, but that's uh, fantastic news for Bernie because. Um, well, because his interview style is just, damn, bro, that's crazy. And then, yeah. Like, have you ever thought about thinking about that on DMT? Yeah. Have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever tried DMT? That's the first question that comes to mind. Yeah. Jamie, bring up that. Bring up that video of a bear. Yeah. God, bears are so crazy, you know. Damn, bro. And but that's the thing is that the funny thing is is that you know you, you hit on a good point, which is that uh, he is very uh, empty-brained is one way to put it. Open-minded is another. Oh yeah. Uh, he but in in our age of like politically driven clickbait punditry, where everyone's got to have like a hot take that's going to get the the their own fan base on their side, like to have someone who's like legitimately just like an open kind of like open-minded person just saying like talk about whatever is is isn't that like what we want from an interviewer that's supposed to be a blank slate you know yeah honestly he's the most neutral interviewer that that's out there like yeah. everybody else has some kind of agenda uh ourselves included our our goal is to um you know send all the gamers to a gulag right mm-hmm. to the to the gamer minds <laughs> the Microsoft salt mines. Yeah. The content mines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, um, I, I really wasn't expecting this conversation to become a ringing endorment of the Joe Rogan show. Joe Rogan experience. Yeah, we're all fans. Um, 
yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not, but like it's a ringing endorsement of of Bernie Sanders on Joe Rogan. I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't watched him in actually a little bit now, um, but I, I there was a period of time where I probably watched like a hundred of his episodes back to back just while going to the gym and stuff like that. On and uh, yeah, we're on TMT, and uh, you know, it's fun to see him interview with someone like Alex Jones, who, you know, this. I don't like Alex Jones at all, but I, I also am aware that like I'm not getting the full story from the people that are tweeting about him and talking about him online now. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel you. I mean, Alex Jones makes for good content. He's uh, he's a uh, he's a crazy person, um, and that's uh, that's fun to watch. It's like, um, yeah, pretty much. You know. it, it kind of feels like like a like an old timey circus. It's like where you used to be able to watch freakish people do weird things. It's like, oh, here's a guy with polydactylism trying to like dial a telephone. Wow. And damn, bro, with... that's so crazy. <laughs> Can yeah. you imagine having polydactylism on DMT? Well, <laughs> but for for Joe Rogan, it's like let's just watch this insane conspiracy theorist like smoke weed and talk about aliens. And it's it's like you get to do that again, and you don't have to pay your hay penny you know yeah yeah joe rogan is uh probably a big fan of uh the history channels uh ancient aliens i feel like (laughs) that's my comparison joe rogan's is ancient aliens yeah i don't know i i think that the guy is 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 fine and i i think we're probably spending too long talking about joe rogan but (laughs) who we should be talking about is uh joe Biden. And uh, I think I gave it away earlier that none of us are uh, huge Joe Biden fans. Uh, well, You're I am. Biden. I'm a fan of what... I'm not a fan of his politics or anything he's ever done, but I am a fan of him. I think he's one of the few candidates up there who's uh, sincere. He's just mm-hmm. profoundly stupid and uh, also has dementia, which is a really strong combo. Yeah, that is that is that is a rough combo. I mean, sometimes it makes for like like a real good crit multiplier, and like he'll get that like, you know, they'll sync up at just the right time, and you'll get a really nice why 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 why, why. <laughs> and uh, you know that's just his brain shorting out. We love it. Mm-hmm. We love to see it. Yeah, I love it. We love it. We love it, folks. Um, I, I think that Joe Biden is like a genuinely likable guy. Um, you, you see him speak and he does have a certain level of charisma until his, like, and this is, there's going to be a big caveat and always like until his brain stops working and it becomes sad. Um, but he's, he's like a pretty, like, he's a good speaker and he's got that kind of down, down to earth charisma where even though he's talking in front of a group of like, you know, a thousand people and being bombarded with questions, he, he sounds real natural when he speaks, which is uh, a good quality for a public figure to have. I don't think it, means that he should be the president but uh i mean i want to give the guy credit where it's where it's due is that you know for kind of like my uh this is what i was saying is that you know for my my mother's generation or my grandmother's generation joe biden represents this idea of like moderate the moderate democrat that can reach across the aisle that like is just completely inapplicable in, in non-applicable to our present day political climate yeah i think he uh He's running for president. Um, he's running his campaign uh, for 1994 at the moment. Um, 
I think he speaks at a frequency in which only uh, like people over the age of like 65 can really hear or understand. Mm. Um, and it makes it uh, hard for us, you know, millennials to really, um, you know, it, it sounds like gibberish to us, but it's obviously resonating yeah. with uh, old people. Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of that is based on the fact that young people are exposed to so many more ideas that don't come out of the, the, the real, like the political machine than the older generations are. I mean, it used to be the case that if you wanted to get your news, uh, you got them from the quote trusted news sources, but there was never really any like exposure of like that these news sources perhaps were not the places that could be trusted. And um, I think that this idea that older reporting was somehow more sacred that places like the Washington times when they posted about uh, the Watergate scandal is like something that wouldn't happen anymore. We just like, we just don't know the things that they didn't put out back then. There wasn't as much freedom of information back then. And I, I don't really believe that the media was ever anything, but especially major media was anything, but a kind of talking piece of, the moneyed interest that fundamentally runs the different factors of our society and government. And um, so when Joe Biden kind of gets up there and, and speaks about this high minded, you know, the country just got, he needs to come together and he's, he sounds friendly and he sounds like, I, I mean, if you read the interview, which we're going to get into in a moment, he's saying things like uh, everyone's saying I'm not progressive enough, but believe me, Sonny, when I get into office, it's going to be the most progressive actionable policy that we we ever you know has ever been seen and the 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 older generation that kind of still has this inherent faith and authority that like the government there's there's people that tell us the truth in it and not even tell us the truth but tell us like the straight truth that they don't manipulate things to get their goals listen to that and they're like yeah we we can still have this compromise based society and to the younger generations that have lived through the the the, the criminal Iraq war that have lived through now Trump that, you know, felt the, 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 the high highs and the disillusionment with Guantanamo Bay and Obama and all that stuff. It just rings so hollow to us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Every time I hear Joe Biden get up there and he's like, I, I you know, when I first get to office, I'm going to unite great people like Ed Buck and Mark Foley. And we're gonna, just going to get so much done. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those guys are uh, pedophile rapists. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. I kind of not, not allegedly, like just no, actually. for real. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> just for realsies. <laughs> oh, no, wait, no. Uh, Ed Buck was uh, not a pedophile. He was just a, a rapist and likely a serial killer. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it's like a regular rapist. And I believe he endorsed Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> He's a big uh, friend of the Clintons as well. Yeah, I believe. Um, How were they to know? It's, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, well, it, it's tough. I mean, Joe Biden, I feel like, um, also represents this, like, right-of-center Democrat um, for, uh, you know, to, like, um, to reassure, like, uh, centrists that are like, oh, uh, you know, the party's going too far left and, um, and, and, and you know. If, if we're just, you know, if we're just passionate and sincere enough, uh, Mitch McConnell won't uh, continue feeding me into the wood chipper. <laughs> <laughs> Feet first. Feet first. Like, yeah. yeah. How, uh, look, we just need to negotiate with the man actively strangling you to death. Like, you know, it'll, you know, 
We gotta find a good com- <laughs> we gotta find a good compromise. Mm-hmm. Let's be yeah, civil. And if you're still being fed into the wood chipper, it's just because you like haven't like spoken right. Like you know, you haven't speeched hard enough. Yeah. Yeah, West Wing style. Um, yeah. And if you get strangled to death, there's always a you know next election where your reincarnated uh, body can uh, you know. Yeah, man. Get strangled well, again. Compromise. Never underestimate, you know, the power of a good compromise. Um, <sighs> I mean, every... who even knows if he'll be here by the next election cycle? He's getting, he's he's falling apart. Yeah. He's. We're all do, we're all doing the best they can. <laughs> yeah, I I can't help but feel like the billionaires that back him are just banking on having another Alzheimer's riddled president to pass through like whatever uh, open business policies they want. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I I don't I don't know what it is. It, it seems like uh, Joe Biden like represents like the promise of like Obama. Like he was. I don't know if you guys know this. He was he was good friends with uh, this little guy named um, uh, Barack Obama. And um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, if we're gonna, it, it's like make America great again, but Democrat style. Like we should return to those. You know. Halcyon years of yeah of Barack Obama, uh, Shamrock, well, and that's Shamrock. yeah. I think that that's mostly like okay. So before I really started looking into Joe Biden, um, when I was a, a younger a younger man, you know, when Obama just got like Obama got elected when I was eighteen, it was like the first election I ever voted in, and um, I was like, oh yeah, Biden, he he's great. He's this you know, longstanding Democrat and et cetera, et cetera. And there was like a period of time where right after Obama was president. As a, uh, uh, as a person that voted for Ron Paul, what did you think of the situation? <laughs> uh, I don't believe I ever voted for Ron Paul. Um, but I did like his campaign because it had the, like, the love in the middle of like Ron Paul. <laughs> I can't remember how they did it, but it was like love Paul or like Ron Palove. I was like, yeah, Ron Paul Love or something like that. <laughs> you can't spell Ron Paul without love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's actually funny because you literally need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, yeah. Uh, I, I, um, but yeah, so when, when the 2016 election was, was coming up, I was one of those people that was like, why isn't Joe Biden running? I mean, we're coming off of this high of the Obama years. I think that he could win. And uh, I I felt that Hillary Clinton was like too vitriolic of a character to win the presidency. And um, it's so funny because uh, every time I mentioned that like Hillary Clinton's the not pre- not the president, my mom, like so many other wine moms out there, is like she won by three million votes. I'm like okay, but that's like not how it works. And I agree that that's it should work that way, but it's not. And there's just that that kind of that classic mindset that's still stuck in the. This is there's it's the inability to accept that like the times are what they are like it's this the 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 things should work this certain way because I was raised thinking that things were fair and righteous and just and that they just fundamentally aren't. I mean that's politics, baby. Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean yeah they. uh, I don't know. We we don't need to rehash the the 2016 election. Good Um, times. Yeah, those were good times. Times when gamers were still redeemable yeah well that's that's when gamers won the presidency for donald trump with their with their memes they memed their way a president they certainly want to think they do Mm -hmm. 
But I mean, I, I, I distinctly remember when Donald Trump first started running all the memes about Donald Trump and watching 4chan move from making funny jokes about Donald Trump being the president to actually being now inhabited by the alt-right weirdos that actually heavily support Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, you got uh, Pepe out here, um, Pepe memes, and uh, I mean, we're all afraid of him. I yeah. Mean, I think they put too much credence on that. Uh, in reality, there was one candidate that was like, we're going to make things better, and the, there was another candidate that was like, things are fine. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Let me, let, me, let me rephrase what I'm saying. I'm not saying that gamers made Donald Trump the president. That was being hyperbolic there. What I'm no. saying, though, is that the Donald Trump discourse certainly did reshape, like, 4chan. Yeah. Like, 4chan used to be where you would go to, like, find, like, pictures of chicks with dicks and, like, weird hentai. Now it's, like, the alt-right. With now it's where you go also, to find still pictures has chicks of with dicks. Trump with, with chicks with dicks. <laughs> Trump, Trump a with tr- a dick? Trans president no, well, Trump. no, Trump with chicks with dicks. Just all... Chuck, yeah. Well, yeah. anyways... <laughs> Oh, I, I was gonna say you can still find pictures of, of chicks with dicks on 4chan. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know. For some reason, uh, Donald Trump really resonated with a bunch of people who might hold, you know, white nationalist views, racist views, something like that. Traditional um, gamer values. Traditional gamer yeah. values. <laughs> uh, As a fun little experiment before this, every once in a while I dip my toes into the cesspool that is r slash the Donald just to see what the Donald Trump supporters are saying. And uh, it was really funny because I remember always watching their uh, subscriber count go up. And um, it makes sense because, you know, you subscribe to something, you don't typically unsubscribe from it. Like most people just kind of let it sit. Um, And they were at like 4 million. And then the great bot purge happened and they went back down to like (laughs) 500,000, which is still a lot. But it was like, wow, most of you are bots, huh? Mm hmm. But I don't think we're here to talk about uh, 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 Donald Trump. That's a whole different podcast. Uh, I, I did want to talk about why Joe, why we're talking about Joe Biden. He's in the news again because of this quote where he said that uh, gamers are uh, subhuman uh, filth who need to be cleansed. So, you know, straight from the hip, without actually doing any research, without actually getting into the topic, do we agree or disagree? The gamers are subhuman? Yeah, with the uh, the poll, the poll, well, basically the poll quote is uh, called "Video Game Developers Little Creeps" and describe their games as a means to teach you how to kill people. Um, so two statements there: Do video games teach you to kill, and are game developers little creeps? I certainly agree with the with the former. Gamers are creeps. Game developers, gamers are creeps, and anybody in the radius of gamers are also creeps. Yeah. Um, well, that one's not really negotiable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we need to have a strong baseline to start off of. So, yes, all gamers are, are filth. So, no, well, I'm going to take the, the opposing view here and say uh, gamers, you know, they're people. Gamers are people. I disagree. Uh, and actually, it is uh, <laughs> Joe Biden who is a motherfucking creep. Um, that has been well established. Well, they're not mutually exclusive. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, Joe Biden's, that's why Joe Biden's so qualified to call it out, you know? It's like you kind of have to become the creep to find the creeps. He was oh. like, my creep detector's going off because yeah. I had my little app of creeps finding creeps in this boardroom was like, mm-hmm. dwing, dwing, dwing. He's like, oh, now I know. Yeah, he downloaded Sniff 
um, the hair smelling app for to find uh, <laughs> the nearest woman near you that you could smell her hair or, uh, you know, or touch her uh, for, way, for way too long of a, a period of time. Um, I could sniff out a gamer girl a mile away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, Joe Biden's a creep. Gamers uh, actually quite normal if you uh, if you get to know them. That's my view. Yeah, I, I think that. You know, we, we have the tendency to make fun of gamers on our gaming podcast hosted by gamers. So, you know, obviously, I, I don't think that all gamers are subhuman. But I think I think it is funny that, uh, you know, there there's still this perception that, like, gamers are, like, a singular block. You know, like, D- Joe Biden's like, oh, those little creepy game developers, people that play games are creepy. And it's like, there's so, like, gamers aren't, we're not a demographic, you know? It's like, we share a hobby, but that's like, hey, does everyone that eats cheese is a voting block? It's like not a real thing. Uh, don't underestimate the cheese block out there, man. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird how, uh, yeah, there is sort of, I mean, yeah, it's apolitical. There seems to be in like post 2016, like, yeah, there's kind of a gamers are a monolith or they're a political ideology. Um, I don't think that's true. Jesse, you got any hot takes on this? Gulags for gamers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are gamers out there that are Trump supporters. There are gamers out there that are, you know, Sanders supporters. They're kind of all over the place. I don't think there's any gamers that are Biden supporters. Like, that's just like an age thing, though. Uh, like, I don't yeah. think there's any Biden supporters under the age of Very 65. Uh, not unless you consider Bridge uh, to be a, a video game. <laughs> yeah, Bridge Baron. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's Fuck a lot of... Bridge Baron. Uh, that's the game that my dad played for, like, 15 years on... Oh, the... are you talking about the card game Bridge? Yeah. That's what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. like, yeah, like Jim Rummy or, like, uh, Cribbage and shit? Yeah, Pretty yeah. much. Um, yes, okay. He, he had Jesus. He had a one of those MacBooks, like, one of those, like, 50-pound cyan, like, clear plastic case MacBooks mm-hmm. that he bought from an Undertaker... Uh, and he wouldn't get rid of it because it had it was the only computer he had that could play his edition of Bridge Baron. He couldn't upgrade. <laughs> every, every day, yeah, that's. Every day I'd come down and he'd like if I woke up early he'd be like in his underwear playing bridge drinking coffee. Yeah, and I honestly, it's a little elderly admirable. voters. I wonder how many elderly voters Sanders could get if he announced an initiative to update, uh, make it so that all new laptops had to come with compatible windows 95 installed for bridge baron exclusively i mean for bridge baron exclusively like he's got your dad's vote so <laughs> i promise the icons on your desktop will never change size no matter what you click on like <laughs> thank you mr <That's>... president <laughs> um but yeah so uh anyways in regards to this quote um, when I heard it, I was like, okay, what the fuck is he actually talking about? Like, because as the news is wont to do, they frequently take these things out of context. So, um, and good Lord, I was not expecting it to be this much work to find out what the fuck he was talking about. Uh, it comes as part of a New York Times article uh, where they interviewed the prospective Mr. President, the old vice president, the one and only Mr. Biden. Uh, actually, it's not the one and only Mr. Biden because it was Hunter Biden, which just quick shout out. I would 100 percent vote for Hunter Biden. Hands hell, down. Hell yeah. Man. Yeah. Hunter yeah. Biden, uh, king. What a king. Yeah. 
he he's got he's got that true honesty that only comes from years of crack abuse like that <laughs> crackhead honesty and um, slinging dick anywho um well it's it's I, I i that's one of the reasons i really don't like mr joe is that he uh had stronger penalties on you know the the crack cocaine and cocaine violations while his son was going to rehab for crack cocaine violations it's like jesus christ anyways um but we got we got the quote here where it says, uh, uh, basically what he was being asked is, under the Obama administration, Silicon Valley's power actually expanded greatly. Uh, there are very few mergers blocked. Do you have any regrets about that? So as a bit of backstory, um, Joe Biden was assigned to uh, you know, basically go and, and regulate Silicon Valley. It's, the president, uh, he had a side quest to, to regulate the computers, and uh, he assigned uh, Joe Biden, the man who gives corporate corporations tax havens and uh, doesn't know the difference between he, he's kind of like the, the dad that still calls it all a Nintendo to go check out the, ta- the, the tech industry. So either uh, vast miscalculation on Mr. Obama's part or exactly the man for the job, depending on how you look at the results. But uh Anyways, uh, Joe Biden starts by responding, the reason why I was given presidential power when I was given an assignment is because I kept the disagreements I had with the president just that, as I said at the outset with the president. Uh, One of the reasons he said he picked me was I'd never walked in the Oval Office and been intimidated by being in the Oval Office. Uh, I'd always tell him what I thought, but at the end of the day, he gets to make the decision. So basically what he's saying is that he worked as an extension of Obama uh, in his rambly, rambly ways. Um, I should also mention this question came very much towards the end of the interview. Uh, it's an incredibly long interview. Uh, I would say a and, good. Uh, and the interview was in the afternoon. So he was, you know, he's already down. Yeah, he's already getting, getting close. Yeah. And we all know that Joe Biden, while he has the potential of being eloquent, uh, loses that particular uh, faculty around seven minutes into any conversation. And so this is like his brain is is starting to melt, fall out of his ears. So that's why it's a little bit unclear as what he's actually trying to say here. So I'm, I am in some ways functioning as a Joe Biden translator for this article. Uh, there are places where he and I disagreed. This is Joe Biden again. Uh, there are places where he and I disagreed. About 30% of the time, I was able to convince him to my side of the equation. 70% of the time, I wasn't when we disagreed, and then he laid something out. And you may recall the criticism I got for meeting with the leaders of Sil- in Silicon Valley while I was trying to work out an agreement dealing with them protecting intellectual property for artists in the United States of America. Basically, once again, translating for Joe Biden, is that uh, he, was basi- he was basically going uh, to try to protect copyright and uh, that only 30% of the time was his ideas, even though he previously said the reason that Obama picked him is because he always went with what Obama said. So it's one of these 70% of the time it works all the time kind of statements that doesn't really make sense at all. Uh, Anyways, this is where he kind of gets into the meat of what was quoted. At one point, one of the little creeps sitting around the table, who was a multi, close to a billionaire, who told me he was an artist because he was able to come up with games to teach you how to kill people, you know. And then the uh, interviewer says, like video games. He says, yeah, video games. I was lectured by one of the senior leaders there that by saying if I insisted 
on what uh, Leahy had put together, and we and we were. I thought we were going to fully support <laughs> that they would blow up the network, figuratively speaking. Have everybody contact. They get out and go out and contact the switchboard. Just blow it up. So <laughs> I think what he's trying to say is that, yeah, video games. Like, oh, I, I know that word. And then he goes back to the point at hand, which is that uh, he was saying that if, if he didn't do what they say, uh, they were going to go blow up the Internet. Is I think that's what he's getting at. Yeah, it's um, so incoherent, though. Like, <laughs> I, I, I realize it's difficult to even read, and, like, uh, you're doing a tough job of having to translate. Um, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Um, like, he heard the word video games and probably thought of, like, I don't know, Mario. Um, time he under, he heard about Mario. Um, They're teaching kids to put bombs and then run around the corner while their other friends put bombs and run around corners. Yeah, yeah, it's and only one of them gets one of them gets out alive. Mm -hmm. So I I actually it it gets a little bit deeper than that. And um, but the weird thing about the 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 little tangent that he goes on here about the video games is that he was like not asked like, hey, what do you think about violent video games? They were like, hey, what happened with those mergers in Silicon Valley? And he was like, let me tell you, I've sat at the table across from Bashar al-Assad and from uh, Suleimani pre-drone strike. But nothing, nothing was quite like those video game developers. And everyone's like, what? Like, why are they even coming into this equation? And I, um, I saw a game. I looked at Gamer in the eyes and I saw nothing, nothing but death. I, I think that actually the more telling thing is the rest of the question, the rest of his answer, which I'll get into now. Um, and just, you know, pay attention intensely to this listeners at home, because I think this this really goes to show exactly why Biden had the slip and the kind of the dangerous mindset that he has. Um, the, the, the quote then goes on to say, he then goes on to say, and then one of these righteous people said to me, you know, we are the economic engine of America. We are the ones. And fortunately, I had done a little homework before I went and I said, you know, I find it fascinating. As I added up the seven outfit outfits, everyone's there, everyone's there but Microsoft. I said, you had fewer people on your payroll than all those losses that General Motors just faced in the last quarter of employees. So don't lecture me about how you've created all this appointment. The point is there's an arrogance about it, an overwhelming arrogance that we are, we are the ones. We can do what we want to do. I disagree. Every industrial revolution, every major technological breakthrough, every single one, we're in the fourth one. The hardest speech I've ever had to give in my life I was asked to speak at the World Economic Forum to give an answer on to speak on the fourth industrial revolution. Will there be a middle class? It's not so clear there will be. And, and, I, and I've worked on it harder than any speech I've ever worked on. The fact is, in every other revolution that we've had technology, it's taken somewhere between six years and a generation for government to come in and level the playing fields again. All of a sudden, remember the Luddites bashing the machinery in the Midlands? That was their answer when the culture was changing. Same thing with television. Same thing before that with radio. Same thing, but this is gigantic. And it's a responsibility of government to make sure it is not abused. Not abused. And so this is one of those areas where I think it's been abused. For example, the idea that he cooperates with Russia was was engaged in dealing with using the internet, I mean using their platform to try to undermine American elections. That's close to criminal. Okay, so that was a big quote here. But basically, there's a few key points to take out here. First off, 
Joe Biden still thinks of jobs as a guy goes to the factory. And, and so when he's saying that these seven outfits in the room together, everyone but Microsoft, because Microsoft wasn't there, uh, you had fewer people on your payroll than all the people that just lost jobs at General Motors. Like, I don't think he understands that like a lot of how technology works is that it supports other technologies. Like the jobs that they're creating are like new industry jobs. I mean, when General Motors shut down, it was one car factory making cars. And yeah, sure, the car factory employs the guys at the steel mill, employs the guys at the, the car lot. But like technology is creating new industries of jobs, which are like very hard to quantify. And he just seems to like not understand that. Because then he goes on to talk about the arrogance of the, the, tech, the technology. You know, this is the fourth industrial re- revolution, which I've heard that bandied about a few times. I mean, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not it is. And uh, then he goes on to tangent about the speech. He doesn't mention what he said in the speech. Um, but then he goes on to talk about, you know, the Luddite smashing machinery in the Midlands, which I will admit I am too young to understand what the fuck he's talking about with Luddites <laughs> smashing machinery in the Midlands. I'm guessing there was a time when the, the automobiles first came and people were like, it's scaring me horse, and then just went and smashed <laughs> up cars. Yeah, Joe but, was uh, there. And Joe was there. But uh, then he's talking about the, the cultural changes with television and radio. And what he's basically saying is that we need to regulate the tech industry the same way uh, we regulated these other industries. And there's a really large conversation to be had there. But it's his mindset is coming from this point that the, the Silicon Valley technological industry is similar to essentially what were entertainment industries through television and radio. There's a lot of side talk about like how television and radio has been used for like commercial purposes and stuff. Um, But like mostly those are entertainment industries and he still views all of technology as basically a prop for entertainment. Like he views it as a, uh, like like people when video games first came out, they all said, ah, these are just a fad. These will pass. Everyone's going to go back to playing, you know, jacks and hula hoops eventually and that's how he still sees technology and the internet yeah like specifically facebook as well um i think that's what the article that was kind of the topic that they were on and that's like you know zuckerberg is kind of uh the poster child for silicon valley um and yeah uh, it almost seems like all of this this whole topic that they were discussing was in reference to um, like Biden uh, personally, like 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 there was ads that were uh, run on Facebook, uh, like calling him um, you know like a Ukrainian blackmailer, uh, quid quote quid pro quo Joe, you know that kind of thing. Quid pro um, Joe, I yeah, think. Quid, is yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, Russian bots, you know that that kind of hysteria. Um, and uh, I don't think Biden understands any of it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah. I think that he understands it in the sense that, like, you can explain people, like, what you can explain to people how a combustion engine, like, like, okay, you can explain to people that gasoline runs a car and you can explain to people that a spark plug ignites the gasoline in the car, but they don't then have an understanding of how a combustion engine works. You know, mm-hmm. like for Joe Biden, it seems that his opinion is that he does understand that like Facebook takes these, this money and 
perpetuates fake news because he goes on later in and earlier in the article he brings it up a couple times about the the fake news that's been going on about the the facebook ads that were targeting him and uh his son specifically um and the the how what he describes as a, a fake news campaign um so he like understands that but he understands it in like a microcosm you know like it, it, he's like he he can't see the bigger picture because his mind hasn't grown up to be shaped by that bigger picture you know right. like he could understand how it personally affected him and his campaign um, through, like, the whole scandal, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't think he has any prescription for it. I don't think he has policy that, like, yeah, I don't think he's well-versed enough to, like, I don't know, come up with um, some sort of uh, way to uh, hold Facebook accountable for what their users post on it. Um, that's mm-hmm. That's a whole debate that, you know, you know, people are having, and and, and rightly so, I guess. Um, yeah, the whole, like, throw Mark Zuckerberg in jail quote is, like, such a misunderstanding of how, like, a gigantic corporation like that works. Like, perhaps he should be, like, financially and maybe even criminally liable for, like, things that happen on the platform that he created. But at a certain point, like, the, the monster is out. Like, he, he no longer controls Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, you know, I don't think... Uh... He is supposed to be held responsible for the opinions of, um, uh, you know, Joe Cornfield, John Cornfield, who lives in, in Kansas and, you know, mm-hmm. is uh, posting about his black neighbor or whatever. Post- posting rare Pepe's. <clears throat> rare Pepe's, for sure. <laughs> the rarest Pepe's, yeah. Well, and I think that before we, like, start making wild claims about the, the, the guilt or the innocence of Facebook, I will say is that, like, the, the the fundamental point I'm getting at here is that the the issue of internet regulation, the inter, the the issue of tech regulation, is so much more complex than the basic framework that he's putting out here. That yeah, you know, we had to regulate the radio when it came out. So I actually, when I was in college, I um, one of my thesis papers was on the creation of the FRC, which was a federal radio commission that became then became the F the FCC. Uh, so basically the, the, the whole board that is designed to regulate content in America came out of a desire to regulate the radio. And the reason is, is because um, radio had a limited amount of airwave space. Um, there's like a finite amount of radio, um, especially back then with the AM and the FM waves. There's like only so many stations you can have. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So as like a public utility, it makes sense to try to regulate that. Like, you know, you regulate the roads so that everyone can have roads. Uh, You regulate the traffic so that everyone can drive on those roads. Very similarly, the airwaves, you regulate the airwaves so that uh, that's why like the equal time clause comes from where you have to give equal time to two sides of the political spectrum is so that everyone could like use the radio as a as a free space. Um, And when they then started regulating television, it's like really basic, like almost everyone that actually studies this issue understands that the the methods with which we use to regulate an industry are so dated because the people that are regulating them don't understand that. Like when they, so when they started to regulate television, they were doing so as if there was limited television space. But as anyone that owns an ele- television now and sees the 70,000 channels available to us, there isn't limited television. And so to say we need to regulate the internet like we did tv and radio is like so asinine yeah like such as uh, i i don't know for example <clears throat> the uh mpaa um you know and uh 
the ESRB for video games. Um, mm-hmm. Antiquated uh, <laughs> censoring organ, um, organizations that um, are essentially, yeah, just uh, concerned mothers and fathers who have children and are worried about their uh, um, exposure to yeah. violence and media and sex. You know, God forbid you see a titty um, <laughs> here and there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, those those reviewed things hold about as much like protective power from children as like the wooden cabinet at the back of the you know video video store. And I think that that's how he's looking at the internet as like an oh my gosh what about the children though and clutching his pearls. It's like uh, the, he he's like thinking that what we really need is like an RU18 filter that actually works, you know. Yeah. And, and and that's just like not that doesn't so he's he's missing a lot of the basic fundamentals. It's like Facebook itself is not necessarily the problem because you can't take away Facebook without like the, Facebook is like guns in America at this point. It's so monolithic that if you were to remove it, so many, you would destroy it it would be so hard because it's such an intractable part of so many people's lives, but you also destroy even more so than guns, like you destroy so many industries that are built on top of it. Like there are people whose businesses entirely are run on Facebook. Like what about them? And that's just not entering into his equation here. You know? Yeah. Sometimes things got to go. Nobody mourned the, uh, elevator bellhop. Um, and when we send, uh, when we launch Mark Zuckerberg into the sun and, uh, destroy Facebook forever, they'll thank us eventually. (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not saying that uh, there shouldn't be things done uh, about facebook of course i I think that there's it's a very complex issue what i'm saying is is that um like i find the quote overall to be far more concerning than just when he's calling game developers creeps because like calling game developers creeps is just like a crack in his armor where he like doesn't understand you know it's like it's 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 overall benign you know, it's like it's like when my grandpa is like, just like, oh, why why don't you go outside and play more sports, Teddy? And I'm like, I, I just I'm not really into that. And then like in his brain, he's like, he's like, oh, it's probably because he's a gay. And like it's it's like it's <laughs> dumb and it's misinformed, and but it's like ultimately like, it doesn't do anything. But I think that his overall stance on like how he's viewing like the regulation of the internet. And I, I think it, I think he's actually right that the, the tech industry needs to have more, uh, I not to say more regulation, but we need to have better regulation of the internet, fake news and things like that. But we, I, I definitely, hmm? what we really need is for the industry not to regulate itself. Cause it's like the, the meat industry where it's like, yeah, we're, we're doing fine. No need to send in health inspectors to, you know, see how much, see that we're keeping like, you know, the federal amount of pig shit in, you know, sausages at an acceptable level. Just trust us. Come on. Yeah. Would we lie to you? And the answer yeah, is I... yes. Yeah, they would. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, of course. hundred percent. Sure. Well, and that's the thing is, is that other certain, that's the weird thing is that when he's talking about like television and radio as being things you need to regulate, like he, he doesn't even seem to realize that like films like the, okay. So the MPAA, the motion picture association of America 
isn't a government body. It's a self-regulating industry. Like, it is the guys that are deciding what's a rated R film and what kids are allowed to go into and not go into. Like, there's actually no law preventing a, a seven-year-old from seeing a rated R movie. It's just that the, 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 the MPAA has said, hey, if you want to run a movie theater, these are the rules. And, yeah. And, yeah, and so, like... For him to say that, like, uh, the, what we the, the the we we need to have better regulation on the industry, and like not even to understand like kind of the history of that regulation, is like okay. So as a bit of backstory, uh, films went through this thing called the production code era, which was the most pearl clutching of all pearl clutching times, and it was around uh, the 1950s. Uh, and before that, we actually saw uh, a lot of films that were what we would consider now to be uh, progressive or racy or uh, you know. Well, it's, it's content that we now kind of scoff at, but there was like a movie called The Man with the Golden Arm that came out in, I believe, the 30s. And um, it was about a heroin addict. And the, like people were talking about heroin addicts in the 1930s. But we have this perception that, well, heroin's a recent problem. No, there was a movie about it back then. But no one talks about it because of this pearl-clutching mindset. And that it's it's like I was saying at the very beginning of this episode, it's that when we, we talk about people's trust of the media, people's trust of the government and such, this idea that even if they might lie about this and that, overall the truth is is known, is, is heavily skewed by the fact that the people that want to see things a certain way will rewrite the narrative, well, they will change the, the, the industry to portray the narrative the way that they want it. I mean... The fact that we don't see any movies about drug-addicted World War II veterans. I mean, there's... Like, AA was founded prior to World War I and got a lot of its membership after World War I. I mean, after World War uh, II and, like, all the people coming back that had, like, serious drinking problems. But you don't see any fucking movies about it because the production code was like, oh, all soldiers have to be good, upstanding, right people. So... To say that, like, the regulation of those times was good is, like, fucking ridiculous. Well, yeah. I mean, I think what the, ultimately there are two things that we should take from this statement. One, that Joe Biden is a sundowning old man who is mentally still in the 70s, uh, you know, riding around in his... Uh, uh, Whatever a car from the seventies is, a long car, big, a big, uh, big long <clears throat> wood paneled uh, station wagon. Yeah, um, and uh, we shouldn't give too much credence to what he says because uh, nobody else does. And two, that uh, <laughs> Bernie Sanders is the only truly pro gamer um, president candidate. I mean, uh -huh. he he wants to provide not only free health care to those who have blood clots in their legs because they sit and drink Mountain Dew and uh, shoot up uh, Cheetos all day, but also high-speed internet for all. Yeah. Because it is, you know, that one sincerely is very important. You can't not have the internet now. It's as necessary to being a, you know, functioning person as the world, in the world as, uh, you know, having, having a phone. Like ev so, every single place that I've been to, to like find a job, they're like, yeah, I just go sign up online. So, and Bernie 
uh, Twitch streamed. I don't know what he was Twitch streaming. I assume he was playing like um, uh, uh, fucking League of Legends and his like low cut V neck. I think it was a uh, mukbang actually, where he was just eating on stream, uh, big <laughs> big dishes of uh, I, I don't know maybe bagels and locks, some, <laughs> something of the like. Um, yeah. uh, hello, this is uh, Senator Sanders, and uh, this is my stream of Twitch plays uh, Minecraft. I will be uh, <laughs> mostly commentating on the quality of these structures and uh, the structural reforms that they will need. You got, you got kids, you know, they're watching them, their Minecraft videos and their, and their, and their Sega Genesis. But when I say we've got to have the, excuse me, we got to have these kids listening to their cassette players and their radios and their, and their gramophones when, <laughs> you know, white kids have so many more words they hear than, than poor kids. We got to have the gramophones on at night and they got to be listening to, to Charlie Parker and they're hearing all kinds of new words like skiddly bop and bebop pow. Scatting words, <laughs> words that words that haven't even been invented yet. That's the true way that he's been. He's being progressive is Thanks. that he wants kids to learn words that haven't been invented yet. Thanks, Joe. That was on um, Guantanamo. That was a question. The question was about Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was gonna say the only true uh, gamer candidate is uh, Amy Klobuchar because she just b- deeply embodies that gamer rage. Oh yeah. I mean, this is uh, Andrew Yang Erasure. Um, he is truly the gamer candidate. He's going to give us all $1,000 for PS5s. Um, yeah. He's going to cover the cost. Yeah, fuck it. Just buy your PlayStation. <laughs> go hide in your little, in your little uh, you know, um, pod because you're not going to be able to afford a, a regular room. Uh-huh. Just play video games and Candies. drink and eat Cheetos and watch the world collapse. And just fucking don't worry about it. It's not your problem. Just fucking wait to die. That's all that there is. That's all that things are as good as they can be. Yeah, I think that uh, Bernie Sanders is the only one with a real plan because now you won't have to uh, drop out of college because you failed all your classes playing World of Warcraft because it's no longer a financial burden. So you can have those two years of reading your la- re- leading your raid guild before someone steals your online girlfriend and you quit forever. Big mood. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's that. There's also Bernie Sanders, probably pro union, that will advocate for unions of uh, gamer you know, unions. Gamer unions. Of, also, uh, developers. also known as a guild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I actually don't think that gamers will ever like game studios will ever unionize, but it's a much much bigger conversation mostly because of sure. the, the multi the multinational na- multinational nature of most game companies now i mean games aren't really made like you there's know, no hollywood of gaming yeah yeah uh, um, silicon well, valley is like such a dated term we'll get remy on to yeah. defend um you know the bosses <laughs> I, I was trying to get him on tonight but he's having a fancy dinner party so uh, with the in bosses, a, in a wine snoozing with, with the fat cats. Yeah. yeah, it's the yearly meeting of the Zionists to try to figure out how to best <laughs> uh, make the streets of LA inescapable once more. But uh, anyways, um, there was some other... Oh yeah, I remember now. Um, 
the uh, I, I did want to end on something real quick that might completely change all of our uh, opinions, which is that uh, after a little bit of scientific research on Business Insider about who he was referring to as that creep, uh, it turns out that uh, his uh, the two people in the room that he could have been referring to are... Uh, uh, let me find their names real quick. Okay, so Mark Pincus of Zynga. Now, if you'll remember, Zynga is a is a company that makes like a family friendly like mobile games, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like Farmville and shit. And the other was uh, John Ricitello. R- uh, sorry, Ris- Ricitello. John who Pagliacci. Was, <laughs> who was the pasta. former Who was the former CEO of EA Games? So I think we know which one he's uh, referring to there. Th- this was the one right after uh, uh, Sandy Hook, right? Where he was like, we got to find out why all these gamers are, are gaming. Uh, I don't really know if it was right after Sandy Hook. It was in 2012. So when did Sandy Hook? Oh, well, no. So Sandy Hook happened at December 14th, 2012. So if this happened in 2012, there's a very small time window that it could have happened. Mm-hmm. Um I looked that up, by the way. I don't know Sandy Hook facts off the top of my head, in case you're listening and wondering why I was so on hand with that Sandy Hook fact. Well, I think, yeah, you actually did kind of sway my opinion there because um, Zynga and uh, EA objectively uh, monstrosities yeah. that manufacture yeah. only death. They Arguably are, the they are two, of, two of the worst ones out there. Zynga especially, just <laughs> making a, uh, like, that's just a money farm. Yeah, honestly, now that I know that who Joe Biden is fighting against is EA and Zynga, I might vote for him. Uh, well, I, I, I don't, don't do that. Um. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, if there was anything that was going to get me on Biden's side, if he came out on stage and he's like, we got to... Look, I, I'm just saying, I, I don't remember if Call of Duty's made by these guys or the that guys, but it's all the same guys. And I just think we need to get rid of them all. I'd be like, sold. Let's uh, do it. Mean, well, I don't know about. Meanwhile, you got Bernie Sanders, who is like, well, actually, I don't like EA at all. Um, CD Project Red, uh, the superior company. Um, Hail Geraldo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're a small indie studio of uh, four hundred poles, and they uh, make they make good games, right. real, real good. Games. Their games are uh, real good right now. Real good. Uh, let oh. me be clear: if you like your Minecraft <laughs> castle. You can creep it. <laughs> Obama. <laughs> what are you what are you doing here? <laughs> uh all right, let's wrap up. I gotta I gotta take a shit. Yeah. Uh okay guys. Um well I hope you enjoyed uh our lengthy discussion about the uh the quote from uh Joe Biden about some bullshit about games or whatever. I don't even remember. I'm sundowning worse than he is, Jesus Christ. Uh we got uh a great interview coming up with uh the dude from Close to the Sun. Uh, straight up, I was at PAX, and then I was in Poland before this. So this is an interview we did about a month ago. So when they say that the game is coming out soon, uh, just jump into the time machine, and you can experience the hype of Close to the Sun's console release back when it happened back in, I think, December. We did this one in December, right? This isn't one from October. I, I don't know how unprofessional I'm being right now. Doesn't, we'll figure it out. Don't, who cares? <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> Anyways, Myself especially. Um, yeah. Uh, so state, I actually do remember the interview that we did and it was a really good one. So it was, it was cool to hear the story about how this indie guy, uh, they've, you know, now buying a new studio and everything because of all that sweet Epic games money. So, all right, guys, uh, I will see you after the uh, musical break here. So DJ, why don't you go ahead and uh, carry us away? 
Alrighty, welcome back everyone to the Real Professional Podcast. My voice is a little hoarse because it is now 1am when we are recording this, so don't any of you fucking internet cretins ever tell me I'm not dedicated to my goddamn job because I'm doing this for you, the slaving masses. Uh, so anyways, I'm here today with Joel Hackalax from Storm in a Teacup. He is a, a game designer for uh, Close to the Sun. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, doing good. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, Close to the Sun, Storm in a Team Cup is a, is a relatively small team, and we were kind of John about this before we started, is that, you know, you're, a, you're a, you know, one of the developers and such, but in a, in a studio like that, you kind of wear a lot of hats, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in the development, um, you can't really afford to specialize that hard, because there's always stuff on every front that needs to get done. So, uh, um uh, you're going to need to uh, broaden your horizons a bit. No, I, I feel that. It's like we were even like, but even in like, a, you know, medium sized companies like a Bloober team, you know, we've talked to a, a couple people from that. Oh, yeah. And they always say that, like, you know, I might be the writer, but, you know, tomorrow I might be helping with translation and I might be doing this and that. Like, basically, just whatever you need to to get the game out the door. Exactly. I mean, my title for, for Storm and Teacup is a game designer, but I mean, I've been doing uh, writing, I've been doing level design, I've been doing uh, puzzles, naturally, but I've also been doing uh, sound design and, and stuff like that. So hmm. there, there's um, really no end uh, to the workload. You just gotta uh, It's so true. Buckle up. <laughs> you think you're getting hired for one thing, you end up doing like 75 different things. Yeah. The, the notorious working hours of the indie game dev is like 14-hour days, and it's true. For the rest of your life, you will never sleep. <laughs> well, I mean, um, at least uh, uh, for, for this project, uh, we did have some, some long hours, some, some long periods, uh, but um, we do have a uh, somewhat more healthy uh, approach to, to crunch than, than most uh, studios, oh. at least. Uh, the crunch that we've been reading about over the last uh, year, two years, uh, the the kind of soul-crushing one, uh, we've been able to avoid. Don't worry, I'll, I'll message your boss and tell him that you you said nice things about the workplace yeah. environment. So you're in the you're in the green. You're you're totally fine. Um, awesome. But how many people work uh, at the the studio? Uh, for uh, close to the sun, we were. Between 10 and 15 people, mm. depending on when you make that headcount. I mean, um, you got a, a composer coming in uh, every once in a while. You uh, you have people dropping in to help uh, alleviate uh, some areas uh, mm. that needs work. Uh, but but yeah, uh, 10 to 15. Uh, so always um, relatively small. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's kind of interesting to talk to you right now, especially because the game's been out on PC for a little while, um, but now yeah. it's coming to the consoles. And everyone always says, like, hey, just port it to the consoles. People don't realize that, like, that's, like, a lot of work. So, oh, like, yeah. kind of what goes into that process of porting the game from the PC to the consoles? Uh, I mean, uh, I remember uh, we did um, the porting for our first game, uh, Nero, nothing ever remains uh, obscure. Uh, we did the porting for that to, uh, we released it on, on PC, mm -hmm. but we did the porting uh, for it uh, for Xbox. And just the amount of um, uh, paperwork, you know, the, the administrative part of filling out forms and Excel sheets and 
getting um, uh, all the languages approved and, and mm-hmm. uh, making sure that uh, the Xbox really plays nice with uh, the, the game that you've been uh, developing for PC, that's, I mean, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a ton of work. Well, yeah, and so, I know that that's actually like one of the big parts of the, the, the process of bringing things to multiple consoles is that each console has its own like release standards. And I know Microsoft especially has like certain verifications you have to go through. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we failed the, the verification process twice, I think, before we, we got through with, with that first game. So uh, they, there's a ton of work. Uh, and I, I mean, it's good work. It's, it needs to be done in order for the platform holder, holders to uh, ensure that the, the games that they release uh, reach their standards. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I totally understand it. It's just... Uh, for indie companies that need to uh, manage multiple things, the amount of stuff that we uh, got blindsided with there, yeah. uh, that was a, a, a wake-up call. Yeah, one of the things I've heard about Microsoft from people that have worked with them is that they have like pretty rigid standards, but they also are like really uh, willing to work with people and like kind of tell them exactly what they need to do. There's like it, they're really transparent yeah. with that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as far as I understand, they've uh, gotten even better with it, uh, just clarifying uh, their requirements and, and their portals uh, where you submit information and so on. But you always have um, a, a person on the inside that you can email and contact and ask questions with. And mm-hmm. they've been, uh, they were really uh, on top of things when, yeah. when we went through the process. So. So how does it feel to be so close? Because it's coming out uh, October 29th on all the consoles, which by the time this podcast is released, is likely going to be a few days in the past. Um, how does it feel to be like so close to the finish line on this? Oh, it's it's great. Uh, this was a two years, two and a half year project. Um, uh, it was a ton of fun to, to work on. Uh, but the, it's been out on PC for a while, so we've kind of uh, internally uh, put our sights on uh, newer projects. Yeah. So to have it finally come out on consoles and get that final hurrah, that final uh, victory dance, that's uh, going to be uh, very nice. So, you know, like you said, the game's been out for two and a half years. You kind of got your sights set on future projects. Um, which I got to ask, you know, Close to the Sun ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Are we ever going to see the conclusion of the story? And by a bit of a cliffhanger, I mean like a complete cliffhanger. Yeah, I know. Um, I hope so. I, I can't... Uh, um, it's it's one of those uh, stories that we wanted to tell, uh, but we, we built a, a universe and a setting that uh, kept the door open for future adventures. Whether we uh, take on that adventure immediately or or whether we leave it hanging for a bit, I don't know. That's still an open question internally. We're doing a ton of experiments and, you know, trying to find uh, this new project, whatever it will be. We're still too too early in in our uh, stages to to really uh, say much on it. But um, I hope so, because uh, it, it was a, a great project to, to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd certainly like if you said more. I want to I wanna see what happens in the story. But yeah. <laughs> hopefully we'll get to see um, something more from it someday. But, you know, this is kind of uh, often the, the tail of the tape with 
indie games like this is that, you know, you, you have a big world that you're trying to create with this time and this, the, the team that you have and the budget that you have, you're able to tell part of that story. And because you're not an Activision, you're not a, you know, a huge company like that. There's no real guarantee that we're ever going to see a second one, which is kind of part of the excitement, but also a lot of times the disappointment of following uh, indie games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, fortunately for us, Close to the Sun has been doing rather well for us. Uh, it's by, I mean, by no means a, a perfect, flawless game. It it has ups and downs, and and uh, we more than uh, anyone knows where um, the hiccups are. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it's it's been uh, one of those projects that we learned so much from that uh, by the time that we released it to PC, uh, we knew, okay, uh, given the wealth of information and, and lessons that we've taken from this project, uh, let's, let's do it again. Let's take all of this yeah. knowledge that we didn't have before and apply it to this new project so that we can, uh, again, raise the bar internally over where mm -hmm. we set our quality standards. Well, and you know, you actually said a couple things in there that uh, I, I want to kind of elaborate on and hit on, you know, uh, with the, the shortcomings of the game, but also the success and things like that. Uh, Close to the Sun, like, you know, regardless of uh, what a lot of people's like individual opinions are on the game itself, um, it's in this weird spot because it was one of the games that was heavily uh, promoted on the Epic Game Store when it kind of first oh. came out. You were, you know, back when the Epic Game Store had like, what, 15 games on it, you guys were one of the ones on the front page. Yeah, that and was um, it's cool because we were actually talking about this uh, on a previous episode when we were talking about the Epic Game Store about how I really like how it's giving indie, like, it's, it's like supporting games that otherwise would fall into the deluge of Steam releases. And, yeah. um, but at the same time, it's it's also it's it's kind of like the No Man's Sky syndrome, you know. Like No Man's Sky would have been everyone's favorite game if Sony wasn't like really pushing it into the spotlight. Do you get what I mean with that? Yeah, 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 for so sure. I'm kind of curious uh, on your end of the studio background. Did you ever feel that level of pressure because of it being kind of front and center on the Epic Game Store? Uh, do you feel like people had altered interpretations of what kind of game they'd be getting because you are like a 10 person team making an indie game yeah exactly and uh, being uh, given that opportunity of being front and center on the epic game store as it just had a few uh, months uh, of, of being live that was uh, amazing for for us it i mean uh, we were as you say, a small studio. So whether we were ready for that prime time uh, possibility, that's uh, a longer discussion. But just to be given that opportunity uh, was uh, fantastic because one of the major problems that you have here for indie studios nowadays is just sheer disability. Uh, if I mean, I love the, the Steam uh, interface. It's so smooth. Uh, they've been working on it for 15, 20 years almost now, uh, or at least it feels like it. And the process on Steam is uh, so automa uh, automated that uh, from a developer point of view, uh, there's really little issue at all. Mm -hmm. uh, the Epic Game Store isn't there yet, naturally. They, they've just begun uh, developing uh, all the tools and, and 
stuff that Steam has spent over uh, a decade uh, perfecting. So it's it's normal that uh, the Epic Game Store isn't quite there yet in in terms of that usability. But what Epic provides instead is visibility, because if if we would be releasing on Steam, right. you're one out of 80 games on any given day that gets released. So you're just automatically swapped. Um, and on the Epic Game Store as well, you have a level of interaction and, and um, uh, personality. You, you can reach out to people and human people will respond to mm-hmm. you. On, on Steam, the process is so automated that uh, if you're having any kind of issue, getting responses is much more difficult than it is on the Epic Game Store. So uh, we're super happy and thrilled to have been one of those first titles to be uh, released on it. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's kind of fun because I talk to a lot of people about the Epic Game Store, and I'm one of those uh, people that... Jesse, what episode did we talk about Epic Game Store on? Episode four or five? Like two. Episode two, right. I always forget. But anyways... Um, uh, and we, I've had a lot of discussions with people about their opinions, and they tend to be incredibly uh, polarized on, uh-huh. on on the issue. Um, but one of the opinions I heard that was was very interesting was uh, from my buddy uh, in L.A., whose opinions are frequently heard on this podcast, um, that uh, what he thinks is is kind of the future is more like curated stores, smaller stores, which sure. with specific uh you know like a lot of the vr stores now are specific towards vr like the oculus store etc um uh-huh. and that steam is is has especially with now it's uh allowing of adult content and they basically have like no filter on steam now um yeah, true. that it's 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 become too much and i definitely like my job my fucking job is to wake up read video game news see everything news that's come out check out the new stuff write about it and i can't keep track of it all you know right and i could probably have a team of five people and we couldn't keep track of it all you know yeah and um so i'm kind of i'm kind of curious you know you as uh, an indie developer like where do you hope the future of digital storefronts goes oh Good question. I hope that um, uh, you still. It's it's hard to avoid having uh, uh, large supermarkets such as Steam that can cater to everything. But I do hope that we get to see smaller stores that focus on uh, genre games or or focus on um, uh, having a specific catalog for a. Uh, uh, dedicated purpose whether it's vr whether it's uh, you know role-playing storefront or or uh, whatever yeah i hope that becomes a thing because um we we've been living in the steam dominated universe for so long now that uh, the fact that uh, finally we have uh, honest real strong competition uh, via the epic game store to kind of get the numbers to be uh, more in equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that Steam can take such a large premium on um, such a large percentage. Yeah, it's like 35%, uh, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of steep, especially when everything is automated. Yeah. Uh, that, they, they don't have to 
maintain anything aside from the servers nowadays yeah. uh, because everything is so solid and they should ha- get you know they should be compensated for the work of developing such a solid uh, interface and, and such a solid uh, backbone yeah. uh, but from an indie point of view uh, the numbers get really uh, squirrely when uh, such a large percentage gets dedicated to to the supermarket. Well, and, you know, the problem uh, so, is is that you release a game on Steam and you have the price that you think people will pay for it, and then you have the price that you have to release it at, and then discount it twenty five percent because yeah. that's just how Steam kind of works now. Yeah, exactly. So uh, to get any kind of competition is healthy for not only uh, customers and and so on, but from game developers as well. Uh, and uh, it seems like we we really do have a competitor now that can uh, force Steam to uh, take uh, account and and you know adapt to to a, a broader uh, industry. Yeah. So so I'm really looking forward to, to what the upcoming five to ten years will. will yeah, and I, I really hope that stores because like Epic Game Store, Epic makes their own games. I mean, they make Fortnite. Um, I'm not sure if they make Dauntless or if they just produce it, but I've been playing Dauntless recently. It's been pretty fun. Um, but like, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, um, releasing a lot of different games on their storefront. I think what people are afraid of is that we're going to see things more like, uh, EA Origins, which was like a publisher catalog, which is like less when we're thinking about like consumer friendly practices. I, I trust. A, a consumer, like a, like a, a like, I, I trust, I'll just say it, I trust Steam more that, that cares more about my consumer, like, needs than fucking EA. And I know that mm-hmm. you're a worker, so you can't shit on EA, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, we have these examples of multiple different, uh, indie market, not indie marketplaces, but different marketplaces. But, like, you know, some of them are just, like, kind of dead on arrival. Like, the Bethesda Game Store is how I played oh. Fallout 76, which I think right. just killed it right away. <laughs> you know? The yeah. fact that it's the only place you can play the illustrious Fallout 76. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely be interested to see more kind of curated experiences. Like, if there was a store just for indie horror games. And, yeah. um, and, and right now we have... I think the only like the only like I like you were saying was the you know, the Steam and then there's Epic, and you know good old games used to be one of those curated stores. It was for good old games. Now it's just uh-huh. trying to be another Steam and not doing terribly well. No, exactly. I mean, um, it's it, it's an interesting model in the sense that um, the the EA exclusivities that they have on on the Origin Store uh, forces. Uh, certain uh, subset of gamers who really, really want to play those games to go through that portal. And and the same was kind of true with Ubisoft's thing, whatever that was. That they've stopped and, doing now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it will be interesting to see uh, once Cyberpunk 77 comes out, how large of a uh, pull uh, the, the good old games galaxy uh, thing will have uh, because gamers, uh, or at least some of them, uh, are conscious about uh, purchasing the title on uh, their own platform, yeah. on, on the uh, good old games platform, which is owned by CD Projekt. Uh, is yeah, it? Whatever. 
Yeah, I, I believe. Oh, that's why I got throat, th- Throne Breaker on good old games. I was like, who uses Precisely. good old games? Yes, you will be able to buy Cyberpunk 77 on Steam, but uh, if you buy it on good old games, you get certain bonuses and you know that 100% of your purchase is actually that. going to the developer without the, the Steam intermediary that takes a cut. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious to see uh, if we will get any numbers to see how such a massive title as Cyberpunk 77 will be, what the percentages will be in terms of uh, users on the various uh, storefronts. Do you, does CD Projekt Red need any more money? Don't they have all the money now? Well, they have a fine chunk. Didn't Didn't Witcher Three sell like two copies for every person on the planet? Yeah, I know. Probably. I bought my two. Yeah. <laughs> now you can also buy it on the Switch, right? You know. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> um. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I, I just find this conversation to be fascinating. You know, this whole idea of like, what is the future? of the competitive marketplace for games because, um, you know, you, you you did your due diligence by saying Steam deserves some money for the infrastructure, but oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what Steam does. Like, I don't know what Valve does anymore. Like, they made Dota Underlords patch um, that broke the game, and it's great. Sure. But even, like, Dota 2. Like, Dota but- 2, most of their uh, cosmetics are community-created now. So, like, they're not yeah. even making their own hats. They don't need to. It's a money farm. And that's what I'm saying. Why it's like they, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And if it's not working optimally, well, you already got five hundred billion dollars. So who, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they did patch the original Half Life uh, to make sure that their NPCs blink their eyes again. Uh, so I mean, uh, wow. There, there's yeah, there's stuff going on in the background. Uh, that's, um, I, I mean, I've, I've I heard some horror stories about working at Valve that I really don't want to get into here because uh, I will still take their money if they decide to give it to me, even after all this <laughs> shitting on them. Because uh, it's not like they don't have money to spare. But, um, no, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've always, I mean, I, and that's the thing is like, this is what I said when we were talking about Epic before. Like, I, I grew up on fucking Half Life, you know? Half-Life 2, Counter-Strike, yeah. for to get to the point where, like, my goodwill has been burned with the company has taken a long fucking time. Yeah, for sure. And I think we that... We will be hmm? old and, and gray by the time that happens. Well, what I'm saying is that but the fact that the more that I learn about Valve's back end and, like, you know, the, the, the profit split and... Basically, how the the store has gone from being the shining beacon of like digital distribution to like where Timmy can sell his dick fighting simulator is like <laughs> I, I don't know I I have a hard time not looking towards other stores like Epic, which is certainly at this point a far more curated experience than fucking Steam is. True, at least for the moment. At least for the moment, I don't I don't know I don't think Epic can ever sell porn though because of the Fortnite crowd. Oh. Good point. Yeah, they said the same thing about Steam. Steam? No. I mean, this thing about Steam is that they they said that they wouldn't sell porn until their fan base was like, please sell porn. But I don't think that the Fortnite Epic Games fan base will ever be like, please sell porn. I mean, they might, but then they'll have to put in their their age gate filter every time. And we all know you can't lie on those. You know, in 10 years when all the Fortnite players finally become 18, uh, (laughs) you know, it, it, it may be. 
Yeah. Um, what's your favorite battle royale? I PUBG, I guess. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that that wave has uh, come and gone. I mean, um, a lot of fun for a while, uh, but uh, I'm I'm content with the hours that. I mean, I, good lord! I, I can't remember the last time a fad hit that hard in the in the game genre. Yeah. You know, everyone yeah. was making a, a fucking battle royale paladins had like their battle royale version like everyone was making a battle royale yeah battlefield uh, yeah it's in firestorm or whatever it's called fallout so, 76 had a battle royale yeah. mode oh boy <laughs> wow. yeah it's true um they're, they're all doing the best they can yeah and i mean i can see why i mean it's probably far easier to develop a giant map with like random spawn guns than it is to like really tightly design individual levels you know oh yeah yeah no and i mean uh, sure uh, chase the money uh, <laughs> if you have if you have the budget to actually uh, develop it then then why not uh, i i can see the motivation behind it but um, it's also by the time that you decide to do it it's probably too late uh, you're, you're already beat the only the one I've really cases. liked so far is Scum. Have you seen Scum? Uh, no. The one where everybody's a prisoner? Yeah, the one where everyone's a prisoner, and it's like you, you count calories. Like, it's like if you eat bacon, it'll give you X fat, X salt, <laughs> not enough. Like, And then you have to like watch your nutrients, and it barely does anything. Like, you have to eat shitty for like a month in-game for it to affect you, but it's just like in the game because they're crazy people. It's like a Croatian team. It's the um, uh, Crow team. All right. Really? It's not them. It's their sister oh, studio. Uh, okay. It's like they, them and the uh, their, their friends are making Serious Sam four because I don't know. Apparently, the, the cocaine money from Serious Sam, the rest of them hasn't run out yet. So <laughs> can't wait. They can still make Serious Sam games. I don't think you can make that game without ample cocaine. So, which they'd probably appreciate me saying. I'm, I'm not can't, talking shit here. They, they make awesome games. Um. So, uh, right, back to the, the close to the, the sun discussion. Um, I did actually want to ask a little bit about, you know, um, there's close to sun is one of those games. It's like 10 people in the studio and they have like, Oh, front featuring developers from this project and that project. What previous stuff have you worked on before? Oh, nothing really major. Um, I, uh, I suppose I, I worked in the North, uh, part of Italy for a while developing uh games for the 3ds for for a bit anything uh, uh, I, anything uh famous no, no nothing just super small uh puzzle game of some kind okay then so I this is down, this is something i've uh, heard a lot is that people are like oh i didn't really do anything and then you dig deeper and they're like i worked on a mobile game and it's like their great shame <laughs> no fortunately i've been able to avoid mobile so far yeah uh but um, uh, no, the the uh, biggest uh, projects that we've been working on has been, uh, or uh, that I've been working on has been uh, within uh, Storm in a Teacup, and and we've we started five years ago, and we've just been slowly, slowly growing in scale. So. Oh, so you've been with them that whole time, then? Yeah, yeah, from from uh, the founding. So yeah, what was uh, the first game they came out with? Gosh, I'm trying to remember. It was um, uh, yeah, that was Anki? Nero. The, no, the Enki came just after um, uh, Nero, uh, oh, which was okay. the first one. 
uh, Enki was this uh, short 30 minute uh, thing where we were. Yeah, that's why I thought uh, it came okay. first, is because it's so short. I guess that was just an experiment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we wanted to create a 30 minute escape room experience, uh, experience and, and uh, kind of test our legs with the uh, Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that was uh, just a, a small, uh, quick project. Then uh, we uh, experimented with VR for a bit, and uh, after that we took on uh, Close to the Sun. Uh, you and everyone else in the world experimented with VR for a hot second. Yeah, yeah. Let me Which see what I can do with this. Oh my god, so it's too hard. Fun. <laughs> it, I, we have absolutely no idea what we're doing with VR, and it's so exciting. I, I mean, so many uh, game design lessons are just thrown out the window oh, yeah. because they don't apply to the VR uh, perspective and, and platform. Uh, it, oh, um, I'm, I'm so excited to see where it goes. It, it's, it's like the Wild West. Well, that's the thing that's kind of funny about VR is that a lot of people get into it because they're like, oh, this is the new thing, and then it's really hard. But it also gives this, this kind of um, potential for like new, young blood people that haven't really worked on things before to learn a whole different kind of rule set, you know? Exactly. No, and um, I mean, from our point of view as an indie studio, we didn't really have the the muscle or the uh, budget to take on such a technical challenge as VR poses. Um, there's still so much to learn regarding that platform that um, from from our point of view as a small indie studio, we need to wait and, and uh, see um, how, how the larger uh, corporations actually tackle this problem and learn from them yeah uh, but it's um, it's just a really really interesting frontier I am I'm personally more interested in the AR frontier you know with the mm. the way the technology is changing to be able to detect room size and lighting and things like that how that's gonna affect yeah. the horror landscape uh, several games have tried but it's like so fucking hard to get the technology yeah right. Exactly, because AR is like um, double the uh, difficulty of VR. Yeah. Because uh, using AR effectively, you're going to need to uh, read the environment at a, a technical level that is uh, just mind-boggling. Yeah. And when we get that right, holy shit, yeah. will that be awesome. Uh, when your own environment, where your own home becomes uh, the nightmare, yeah, uh, damn, that's gonna be fun. Yeah, the only thing they've really managed to do with it that's significant so far is Pokemon Go, and that's just like putting a Squirtle cartoon on the ground, and that's fucking easy. Yeah, yeah, and even that is actually pretty hard. So, I'm more interested in the uh, in the BR side of things. Check out the Brazilian World Cup coming soon. What are you talking? About? <laughs> BR Brazil. Oh, oh BR is Brazil, right. I'll cut that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did mention it is almost two in the morning over here, so our jokes yeah. are getting a little bit stupid. Um, My brain is cooked. So, yeah, this, this, but it's interesting to ask, though, you know, you've been with Storm and Tiga for five years. This is an industry with huge turnover at a baseline oh. level, and then especially in indie, people tend to join an indie studio, work on a project, get picked up by a bigger company. So why have you decided to stay with Storm in a teacup this whole time? Um, uh, I, I came from Sweden, I moved down to Italy, and I landed eventually in Rome. And Rome is a magical 
city. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I really enjoy it. It's uh, it's not perfect. It's the roads are full of holes. It's kind of <laughs> dirty. Uh, it gets crazy hot in August, but there's still some kind of magic in Rome. Uh, some you walk along ancient ruins and you can. Uh, almost uh, see the old senators in their togas uh, walking alongside you. It's um, it's awesome. So I'm 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 really happy here and and uh, to be able to grow my skill set as a game developer uh, alongside a studio that has survived the indie apocalypse uh, <laughs> and and just slowly slowly. Uh, Grow and 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 uh, you know uh, sail to to new projects. That's that's an adventure that I am really enjoying. So are you saying that the road of your life led to Rome? Yeah, at least uh, I've heard that all so far all such roads lead to Rome. Rome yeah, it, so it, many. It's just it's just too bad that the roads in Rome yeah. are in. In really dystopian <laughs> shape. Yeah, at the moment. all roads lead to Rome, but once you get there, they're in disgusting shape. Exactly. You try to drive your car and avoid hot potholes, but it's an impossible task yeah. right from the get go. Yeah, that would, I've never actually been to Rome. I should, I should come. Oh, I should convince would, whoever pays your bills to to fly me out to do a studio <laughs> tour for your next horror project. Yeah, I mean, we're we're building a new office now. Uh, after uh, Close to the Sun uh, has been doing so well for us, uh, we're expanding our offices and, and making it uh, bigger, fancier, and better. So, uh, yeah. So, what kind store, of once that's hmm? done, why not? Yeah, that'd be. I'll, I'll I'll remind you that you said that later when you're, you're <laughs> out of when you're out of money. <laughs> um, so, what lessons did you take from Close to the Sun? That you're going to try to use to improve on your next project. Uh, there, there's a, a ton just practical production lessons. Uh, for example, um, always have multiple backup plans. Uh, one backup plan isn't sufficient. You're going to need to to uh, think outside the box. Uh, for example, um, as we were developing the project. We wanted to do um, more animation. We wanted to do um, to make sure that the Helios, this large ship, came alive and, and got actual uh, humans um, uh, interacting and, and working in the environment. We we wanted to do more animation heavy uh, stuff. So we hired uh, an animator who uh, was really difficult to find in Italy. Uh, but we got one, and and he stayed with us for a while, and then he disappeared, and that kind of left us in a hole where we had opened up the possibility and and started to work along uh, a certain um, schedule and a and a certain uh, design that uh, all of a sudden was closed. So uh, we were left in in a bit of a scramble to try to uh, recover from that. He disappeared? Uh, well, he got a <laughs> better job, uh, or at least he... Uh, okay, so. I was like, did he die? Like, what are we talking no. about here? Is this like an old no, Sicilian no. mob hit? Like, what happened? He was disappeared. He was disappeared, yeah. Yeah, concrete shoes and... Uh, all and all that. that, yeah. That sounds... How very Italian. Um, but he's not disappeared. He's just got a different job. 
Yeah, exactly. So that was unfortunate from our point of view uh, because we were kind of deep in development uh-huh. by that point, and we had in in um in the uh, studio, uh, you're really counting on the individual skill set of the people that you have. Uh, so you know uh, your colleagues in and out, what they're good at, what they're bad at, uh, what. Um, you can expect uh, from uh, each individual and uh, we had counted on this section of work to to be uh, so your uh, solution was just to make all those animations time ghosts and that was part of it yeah well there were certain parts of the game that uh you know i i felt like okay this was originally going to be a larger level like the, uh, the the level where you're going through the apartment complex blocks yeah 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 like, I could see the skeletons of, okay, this was originally supposed to be, there was more stuff to explore, more rooms to look in, and that's why you will come up to a room and you can kind of see the inside modeled, but there's like an electrical column fall over, fell over, and you're like, yeah, can't go in there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, so, it, I mean, um, being, uh, being as mobile as we were, uh, you know, no battle plan ever survives contact with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we set out to, to make this project, we had an idea of what we wanted to create, but as always happens in development of games, that plan has to change based on realities of development. Uh, and we managed to stay fairly mobile when developing close to the sun, so we could adapt um, our, our designs and our, our plans based on uh, realities of, of development. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, we can do better. Uh, we have uh, um, uh, a new set, uh, a new pipeline, a new uh, check system that will allow us to more uh, uh, responsibly uh, react to uh, the, the stuff that we're developing. Yeah, and the new project is called... Ah, I was just trying to get you oh, good, good try, good try. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, I think we're, uh, about reaching the time where my brain falls out of my ears and I, I need to, to, to crash, but, uh, it's been, honestly, it's been really awesome talking to you. Is there anything else, uh, Jesse, is there anything you wanted to bring up before we get closing up here? No, I think I'm good. Uh, Joel, is there anything else you wanted to bring up or talk about? No, uh, thank you for taking the time at one in the morning to, to chat, uh, yeah. Get close to the sun on, on the consoles. And uh, uh, if you uh, like what you see, please, please buy. <laughs> well, you know, it's like it's like what I said is that I, I thought, you know, close to the sun, I really wanted to get the chance to talk to you guys because it is an interesting project from the standpoint. And I rarely get to say this. It's from the it's like an interesting spot in the world of games right now in terms of what it means for indie markets, what it means for uh uh, alternate storefronts, how it's been a success for you guys. And um, I mean, I don't mean to say that that like that interestingness eclipses the interestingness of the game, but it's, it's kind of part of a larger story, you know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, we've been uh, very fortunate to, to have that timing window, right. And, and we got a lot of eyeballs on the project uh, due to it. Um, Having some Bioshocky vibes to it, mm-hmm. but without any of the combat that is associated uh, to to Bioshock as an yeah. IP. So uh, 
it's been a, a real thrill to to work on. Yeah, no, and I, I definitely enjoyed playing it. And um, honestly, it was great talking today, man. Uh, you can find Close to the Sun now on basically everything. You can find it PC on PC at the Epic Game Store. It's going to be coming out for Xbox, PS4, and Switch. You'll be able to find it by the time that this uh, you listen to this podcast. So, um, yeah. Anyways, I want to thank you all for uh, tuning in to the uh, Real Professional podcast today. It's been uh, it's been a good one, and I hope that our discussion session was very riveting and interesting, whatever it was, because we haven't filmed it yet. But uh, anyways, thank you all for joining us, and uh, bye. And that's how we end it. We always end it on the bye. Why wasn't his apology enough, Mr. Vice President? Why, 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 why